Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. The following program was previously broadcast. It's certainly a pleasure to travel the country with the microphones of the Lion's Den University Report uh, from coast to coast. and. Uh, but uh, no more pleasure than our opportunity today to meet uh, here in Norcross, Georgia, at the headquarters of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries uh, with uh, Dr. Zacharias. And he is certainly a well-known uh, Christian evangelist and apologist. And uh, with our focus on the universities, he's been at many universities and uh, even a number of those of our regular listeners have heard of a number of uh, faculty as well as uh, students whose lives have been impacted uh, directly or indirectly through the apologetics ministry of RZIM. And uh, Ravi, uh, welcome to our microphones today. Thank you, Glenn. Good to be with you. And uh, we both have a common connection with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, our listeners know I'm a local pastor in central Pennsylvania, and you have that uh, background too, don't you? Indeed. Um, I don't know whether I may have predated you in that, but I took my license with the CNMA in 1972 when I just graduated with my undergraduate degree in theology and have um, been licensed uh, with them ever since. So that's nearly 40 years coming up now. Right. Okay. Well, I'm still around 35, I think, okay. but uh, it's uh, certainly a joy to serve the Lord, isn't it? It is. And I've been on this uh, mission and ministry for two thirds of my life now. So I've really enjoyed the opportunities I've had covering nearly 70 countries in these last several years. Right. Amen. That's uh, uh, widespread scope of uh, not only your uh, writings and your radio program. and uh, uh, Tell us actually maybe a little bit more about the scope of RZIM Ministries at this point. Uh, it came after I'd spoken for Dr. Billy Graham at Amsterdam in 1983 when he was hosting that conference for about 4,000 of the world's leading evangelists. And I remember leaving that conference thinking to myself, you know, uh, while we've heard some of the finest here, the one thing that is obvious, we are really not responding to the intellectual struggles of the honest skeptic, the one who challenges the gospel, for that matter, challenges philosophical assumptions in all matters of faith, uh, as we call it. But how do you uh, respond to the hard and to the soft questions of the skeptic? So with that in mind, and at that time, I was a professor in Nyack, New York, teaching at the Alliance Theological Seminary. I resigned my position within a year and started this ministry. And uh, the whole uh, focus of this ministry is uh, evangelism undergirded with apologetics, proclaiming the good news of the message of Jesus Christ, but doing that and understanding the rigorous philosophical questions that lie beneath many a skeptic's mind and the reason for their resistance or their denial of these truths. Right, and uh, so we understand from the teaching of the Bible that uh, faith in Christ can uh, be understood by a simple child uh, at uh, any yeah. age, and yet it has profound meaning that reaches the depth of intellectual questions as well. I think that's it. That's the balance. Uh, it is the, it's what I call combining simplicity with sublimity. There's something, and not simplistic, that's not what it is, but there right. are simple truths that a child can latch onto and understand but it's profound enough for the most sophisticated philosopher to wrestle with and deal with. Two of the most uh, noted exponents, one of the Old and one of the New Testaments, Moses and Paul, 
were brilliant men, well-learned in the disciplines of their day. And so when Jesus is talking to a man like Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus, you're asking, you're trying to question these things, and you're supposed to be a one who understands all these sophisticated issues, and yet you don't understand this as the most basic issue. Uh, Jesus uh, confounded the philosophers even when he was a young lad, and in his proclamation of the truth, as of him being the way, the truth, and the life, he answers the deepest questions of philosophy and of existential struggles. Right. And now your heritage, uh, your family comes out of uh, uh, India. And I understand uh, someone was telling me from your biography that uh, uh, it came out of the area where the Apostle Thomas uh, that is correct. ministered. The uh, state maybe of share Kerala. a little bit about... Uh, the state of Kerala, which is in the Deep South, which is where the Apostle Thomas went. Uh, my father came from Kerala. My mother came from what used to be called Madras, now Chennai. Uh, and then I was raised in Delhi, which is in the north, so I really cover a little bit of uh, three major areas. But my ancestors uh, were the Nambudris, which is the orthodox Hindu, the highest caste of the Hindu priesthood. Mm. They were the teachers of the teachers and in the priesthood in Kerala. And if you read uh, extra-biblical history of Thomas's arrival into Kerala amongst the, or the first of those whom he set as his audience were the Nambudris, because he believed if he reached them, then through them, he would be able to reach the masses as well, which is exactly what happened. And Kerala uh, became predominantly Christian, uh, but uh, Thomas paid with his life and was uh, ultimately assassinated. Uh, but that those roots of mine are very real, and I'm very grateful for that, that that's where my origins were, that's where it goes back to. And yet out of that group, God calls me to be a proclaimer of the gospel. It's quite, a, quite an honor and distinct privilege. Right. And so with that uh, Hindu heritage, uh, the question in, in circles arises uh, very often about uh, how can uh, Christianity be unique and uh, how, why can Jesus claim, uh, make the claim that he does, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father uh, but th- through him. Uh, as you've uh, come from one to the other, um, you know, some people have overcome the hurdle, well, there may be a God, but how do you sort out all these religions? Yeah. What, what do you say to that? There are two fundamental premises that are often either misunderstood or miscast. The number one is this, that uh, Christianity is sort of an exclusive claim and uh, religions like Hinduism and Buddhism are so inclusivistic and all-encompassing and and so forth. Even Baha'ism is touted as sort of the ultimate of syncretistic religions. Uh, Nothing is farther from the truth. All religions are exclusivistic. If they weren't exclusivistic, there's really no necessity for them. The reason they claim to be around is because there is something they are giving that is not already there. Uh, So truth by definition is exclusive. For example, No Hindu will ever surrender the doctrine of karma or reincarnation uh, without ultimately surrendering the very ideas of Hinduism. Those two are the non-negotiables in Hindu. You can stop and ask almost any Hindu, uh, tell me, uh, do you believe in reincarnation? Yes. Uh, Do you believe in the law of karma, that every birth is a rebirth and every life a payment for the previous life? Yes, they would. The idea of karmic uh, uh, transmigration is also true in Buddhism. 
And so then you go on to the other monotheistic religions like Judaism and Islam. They're exclusivistic. Uh, Buddha, is, uh, when you talk of Baha'ism, they claim to be syncretistic, but actually they exclude the exclusivists. Uh, it's the way truth functions. So that's right. the first misnomer, misunderstanding that Christianity is exclusivistic. How can it claim uniqueness when all the others are quite accommodating? The second uh, misunderstanding is this idea that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. The fact of the matter is the reverse is true. They are fundamentally different and at best superficially similar. So in this context of contrary worldviews, it is a thrill for me to present the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and wherein that uniqueness lies. Let me just take in one point. The whole notion of grace and forgiveness very much a Christian truth. Uh, let me narrate for your conversation. Uh, this is a true conversation. Brother Andrew, the famed uh, mm -hmm. uh, central personality of God's smuggler, he was talking to a Muslim cleric in, in Jerusalem, and three or four others were listening in, and one of them narrated this conversation to me. Brother Andrew is talking to this Muslim cleric who had ordered the killing of eight Israelis to avenge the killing of four Palestinians. So Andrew looks at him and he says, who gave you the right to be the executioner of the world? The man looks at him and says, I'm not the executioner. I'm only an instrument of God's justice. So Brother Andrew paused and said, uh, where then is forgiveness? He said, forgiveness is only for those who deserve it. In those two responses, this cleric demonstrated the difference between his belief and the Christian faith. If you merit forgiveness, it's really not forgiveness. You've already earned it. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you being forgiven for if you have taken the responsibility of atoning for it yourself? Right. But that's not what true forgiveness is. It's by the grace and the gift of God and instrument of God's justice in defacing the image of God and killing your fellow human being, which Genesis 9, 6 says is a direct attack upon the image of God. So this desacralization of life and denuding of grace so often happens in other in other belief systems in the Christian faith. It's central to the gospel, right? And even the contrast there between grace and works uh, is found in the uh, contrast of of the Muslim view of Jesus that he didn't die, and the Christian view of Jesus that that was what he came to do. Yeah, and in the and every Muslim will tell you if you ask him or her about their attainment of heaven, they'll say, "Oh, that is inshallah, it's the will of Allah." And they'll say, "How do how will you know if you'll ever be in paradise?" They'll say, "My good deeds will have to outweigh my bad deeds." It's a common Islamic belief, and no Christian who understands the gospel will ever make a statement like that—that right. that my good deeds have to outweigh my bad deeds. Now, this does not mean the Christian has the license to go and do all kinds of things that are totally uh, non-representative of the character and the nature of God. This only means that I do not get into God's presence through perfection, that the very fact of him giving his son on the cross is to make possible my redemption and my forgiveness and my peace with God. The ultimate clue to meaning in life, Glenn, is in relationships. And no relationship can ultimately uh, be based on anything other than your relationship with God. That is going to be the foundation from which all other relationships are defined. Amen. And so you've been taking this message around the world. And do you find some places in the world at this time more receptive uh, to the Christian message than perhaps in the past? Just minutes before you came here, I was talking to a man who has well-traveled through China. 
And uh, he made the comment, and I'm aware of it, having been there myself, that the fastest growing church in the world is in China. There are, uh, I mean, who would have ever thought that the guesstimate right now is between 70 to 100 million in China? Mm. Uh, the people numbers coming to Christ are far greater there than in the United States. You see, they've lived with atheism. They know what it means. We are flirting with atheism, thinking we know what it means. And that's the difference right now. Right, right. Now, as your organization moves ahead, what are your strategies for the next uh, several years? Well, we're based now in 10 countries, about 100-plus full-time uh, people on our staff with about 15 or 20 frontliners, apologists. Uh, one of the most important things we've established in the last uh, year or two has been the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics that offers an accredited one-year study in apologetics that's accredited through Wycliffe Hall and the University of Oxford. We offer that. We're moving into a master's program there and ultimately to a doctorate program there. Mm. And we will be producing, by God's grace, some of, some of the finest Christian apologists in the globe, uh, studying at one of the finest universities in the world. Uh, that is there and uh, one or two other academic institutions. We are now affiliated with Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois, and SIAX, which is the South Asia Institute for Advanced Christian Studies, which is affiliated with the University of Mysore in the south of India, where we have now a chair of Christian apologetics. That plus our itinerant work all over the globe and in our writings and in our radio program and through media, uh, we are staying very, very busy doing just this. Great, great. And so you would say uh, with the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Absolutely it, not. In fact, salvation I, would, for I would say outside of the gospel of Christ, I do not know of any other answer for humankind, especially in the intensity of the struggles we now face globally. Well, we'll continue uh, this interview on our next broadcast, and we've been speaking with Dr. Ravi Zacharias of the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Ravi, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Glenn. Nice to be with you. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Report. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844 or email ltcldur at yahoo.com. 